Attention all New Orleans units, stand by for broadcast. We are looking for a violent 103M. Escaped from the home of mentally insane adolescents. She is described as an Asian female, brown hair, brown eyes, and she is considered dangerous. Use extreme caution. Over. Copy. Lucky me. Welcome to Tea with Culture. I'm Hinma Zaina. And you just listened to a clip from a trailer of the film, Mona Lisa and the Blood Moon, directed by Anna Lily Amrapour. Her previous films include A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night and The Bad Batch. Mona Lisa and the Blood Moon premiered at the Venice Film Festival last year and was recently released in cinemas across the United Arab Emirates. It's a fantasy adventure about a girl with unusual and dangerous powers who escapes from a mental asylum and tries to make it on her own in New Orleans. I interviewed Anna Lili Amrapour via Zoom after the screening of her film at Cinema Kiel on October the 1st, and the following is a recording of that discussion. We talked about the film and how it relates to current politics, freedom, kindness, sleep, dreams, dance music. Hope you will enjoy listening to our conversation. I've seen this movie twice. I saw it last year at the Venice Film Festival when it first premiered. And watching it a year later, and there's kind of two different ways I've related to this film. Like last year, I related it to issues of asylum seekers and, you know, jailed uh, people seek, you know, crossing borders who are jailed, children separated from their parents, you know, kind of relating it to Mona Lisa's character in the film. And watching it a couple of days ago, I kept thinking about the issue, current status uh, around, you know, many parts of the world uh, with women, right? So controlling women and their bodies in the states with recent abortion, you know, laws, uh, Afghanistan and most recently Iran, you know, not far from here. And knowing that I think you wrote this film around 2017, 18, you know, what's your relationship now with the story? Kind of what were you thinking of when you wrote it and how are you reacting to the story now that it's out in the world? Yes, well, I think the interesting thing about movies is that when there's a certain moment in time and place that we see them and whatever's going on in our lives and in the world um, become the conduits and nerves through which we react and we feel. Um, For me, uh, my movies are quite personal, I think, in in the... the deepest origins of the idea. And um, I wanted to, I wanted to, there was a few things with Mona Lisa. I wanted to have a character who, who through her, I could look at the world with innocent, with innocent eyes. I wanted to create a sort of um, a feral child um, because for me personally, I, I I want to feel where the wonder and the joy is, even though everything is so much chaos and um, can be confusing and overwhelming. I wanted to find the joy amidst all of that. And she became this character, and of course she is separated, isolated. She was never assimilated she she doesn't fit and i think i always have connected to characters in this way um certainly for reasons of how my own life has been of coming from different countries and different cultures and different languages i never really um absorbed into the embrace of 
the rules or, or of society anywhere in a way. And so I kind of have my own universe inside of me. So I want, so with her locked up and discarded from the world and from reality, I wanted to, I guess I was asking the question, how can I be reintroduced to reality? But, but with a hope for joy, I think she has a hunger, a hunger for life, a hunger for freedom. And of course, the most important thing about Mona Lisa, I think, is because she's a supernatural character, because she has a supernatural ability, I got to design and choose what would I like to be able to do if I could have any power. And the answer was to be able to control anyone in any situation, which means I can truly be free, which means she never has to fear any situation, any people, she can go down the dark alley. She can go towards the group of street people on the street. She can go anywhere and interact with anyone. And to me, that makes her the ultimate observer and the ultimate, um, you know, she can dance with, with life, with humanity. She can examine everybody. Um, so maybe those are the things that I, I I find important and I find it it's what the meaning of freedom would be in an ideal sense. And you talked about kind of, you know, purity and innocence and Charlie represents that in the film. And, you know, he as, even though he's a child, he's kind of the most sensible and the most grown up in the film, like, you know, trying to make the right decisions. I mean, even he too wanted to escape his life and that sad moment in the airport when he tears up and knows it's not going to happen to him, like maybe now is not his turn, that it be Mona Lisa's turn. And I see in the end credits you dedicate the film to your cousin, who is the Charlie to your Mona Lisa, which I thought was a lovely dedication. Mm. And um, yeah, so I, you know, I think we all like to have someone who grounds us, who is kind of the person you can rely on. And I'm assuming that's the representation of Charlie in the film. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's really a it's it's really about the importance of friendship. And I don't think there is any one single defining friendship. People tend to have many we pass through each other's lives. And I mean, if I think of my childhood, there were many different friends I had that I was very, very close to for short amounts short amounts of time. And then you move on and they move on. And but all these people that we come to know in our lives, they become a part of who who we're going to become as people. So they're these very, very important, fragile um, moments of connection um, that are very tender for me. And when I lost my when I lost my cousin a few years ago, I remembered my my our childhood, you know, <clears throat> in that way. And these things sometimes go. We we there's so many things in life we can't control, but but when we do find those people, when you find someone who everything is so easy, um, you see each other. You see the best version of that person, and they see the best version of you. Um, it's really a beautiful thing. I also think with Charlie, you know, he's he's a really wise kid, but he's a kid and 
you know, I even think of myself when I was young and I have wonderful parents, but there was times as a kid, I thought, oh, I can't wait to be independent and be on my own. And no one can tell me what to do. You know, that feeling of rebelling and wanting to, you know, stay to be your own person and to not have somebody <clears throat> dictating what what you should do. So because I do think Charlie, even despite whatever odds he has with his his mother, I do think that they are they are still very, very close. So the fantasy and of running away with the reality of running away are two different things. Um, I want to talk about fuzz for a bit uh, at the screen. Like, <laughs> you, you know, when I first watched it, I thought I I wish there was more of him in the in the film. Um, yeah. <laughs> and like, so there's a couple of questions I want to ask. Like, how did you, you know, his accent because he's a he's a British actor, and uh, yeah. so you know, how did he kind of, you know, uh, you know, take over this role? And his last line, I think, is he tells Mona Lisa, "See you in the sequel." And the question yeah. is, is there a sequel, or is it just an, Im you know, it's an imaginary sequel? There is very much a map and an idea, a clear idea for a sequel. Of course, she would be landing in Detroit at the beginning of the film. And 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 um, and actually, I even thought of a third movie that would be her childhood in North Korea. Um, but <laughs> so we have to see what happens. But um, Fuzz is is incredible. I think I think Fuzz is Ed Skrine is amazing. I just felt that he I felt it was him and um you know fuzz is like the buddha in a way i think he's a uh, maybe you wouldn't think so from the way he looks and you would dismiss him and maybe you would miss seeing the buddha you know the person who is completely zen he doesn't do anything because he wants something in return which is a very rare type of person to, to meet um but he's a psychedelic buddha he's a psychedelic um a psychedelic guy and um it was just really fun ed worked with a our casting director our local casting director in new orleans he talked like fuzz and when i'm when i was when i met him and then ed came to new orleans they worked together um, and he helped him develop that accent, which he just killed it. It's so, uh, it just sounds exactly like one of the New Orleans locals. And um, I mean, yeah, it's a testament. He is a great character. And of course, you should leave wanting more. You know, I think it's just the right amount. I know it's torture and you want more. And so if there is a school, you would get more. <laughs> <clears throat> looking forward to it and yeah you're right about the act of kindness which uh, are quite touching and especially coming out of him where yet yeah, was unexpected because i think when they first appeared they're kind of you know loitering outside this you know supermarket and yeah it's like very rough on the edges but yeah he is a, a buddha he is quite zen and it was quite fun seeing him well i think it's also about for me it's about you never know where you might find the buddha and mm -hmm. i think if you're if you're not paying close enough attention or if you quickly dismiss people mm -hmm. because they look a certain way or because you think you know exactly who they are then you know you might miss something really good and really special and important so i think it's um 
I think it's a useful tool when people spend a little more time and effort uh, with their attention so they don't miss something good in other people. True, and maybe that's where that line, forget what you know, probably is, is I, I feel it's an open invitation from you asking people to, yeah, rethink or, you know, readjust and not just stick to, I know, whether it's prejudices or, you know, stubbornness, etc. So I, yeah, I know, do you want to talk about that line a bit? Yeah, stubbornness or outdated ways of mm, thinking. Mm, mm. You know, I think... I think another path to freedom, physical freedom, mental freedom, emotional freedom, is finding new ways to understand, new ways to think, new solutions to, to problems. It, it does require that you let go of things that you, that you thought you knew. Sometimes old ideas don't serve, don't serve you in your present reality. So, and, you know, of course that was on the fortune cookie that Harold got. And Officer Harold is a very kind of, you know, simply logical man. And I think he believes in this idea of, of justice or order, but, um, and has good intention. Um, but he's a man confronted with the limits of logic you know, there's times where it 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 can only serve you to a certain degree, but then there's things that go that push you beyond. And if you can't explain it, then I think you have to surrender and you have to, you know, I think at the end of this movie, Officer Harold will never be the same. He will never be able to go back to thinking he knew everything or understood everything. So he's going to have to start building new meaning and understanding everything again so which is a good thing i would say so forgetting what you know is a really helpful helpful uh a mantra or, or, or uh, and kate hudson's character like so she's obviously you know great and uh, a completely different role that we're you know not used to seeing her in and I was thinking, yeah, her character is hustling. She's making ends meet. She's doing what she needs to do <laughs> to survive, to mm -hmm. take care of herself and her kid. But then there was an element of greed as well, where I realized, you know, when she saw that she has someone who has the power to, you know, ability to get money. And it was one thing taking money from kind of the customers at the strip joint where, you know, you go, yeah, they deserve it. But then targeting, you know, random people on the street, and 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 it becomes this kind of you know moral ambiguity. So she's not an evil person, but she's doing bad things, and you know out of necessity. And um, yeah, I don't know. Do you want to talk about that? Because the word greed crossed my mind a lot when you know I was when I was thinking about her character. I mean, yeah, I think greed is if somebody already has too much and then they want more. I think Bonnie is more of a hustler. I think her life in her life, she's a bit of a <clears throat> a shark, you know, and a shark, a shark never sits still mm. and a shark never stops moving. They are um, predators in a way, but that doesn't make the shark evil. It's in its nature to do what it does. Um, and I think Bonnie is a type of character that doesn't change. I, I didn't want to teach, you know, if you have these movies, if you have in these movies, a character like her, a woman who's a stripper, who's an exotic dancer, who in some way her business is sex and, um, 
selling sex in a way, you know, it's a hard job. It's an honest job, though. And in my opinion, uh, people might feel differently about it, depending on who you are and where you're coming from. But she's a hardworking single mom. And, you know, she's taking a beating from the first time we meet her to the last time you see her, her life. And she never she gets up and she keeps going. She uh, powers through her life unapologetically and without looking for a rescue or a hero. She is her own hero. And so for this is just for me. I understand many people have conflicting feelings about Bonnie, which I think is I think it's great. I think it's fun to to ask questions about her morality, but I don't really feel the need to judge her. I see that she sees an opportunity. I don't think she's particularly cruel. She gives her a bath, gives her food, gives her a place to stay. Um and and there's mutual mutual benefit. That's how she sees it. Um, so I I didn't want to, you know, when you see a character like these, typically in movies, there there's a lesson to teach her by the end of the movie. They want the audience normally to feel sorry for the stripper, to feel that she hates herself and hates her life and has a lesson to be taught, you know. And I don't, I didn't want that for this character. This is who she is. This is what she does. She does her best for her kid. And I think, you know, at the end, she it's a moment of realizing how much she loves her kid and him realizing how much he loves her. And they will carry on, you know. Um, people come from so many different situations. So their version, their, their, their family uh, structure might be different than what we think is normal or acceptable. So... Yeah, that's the thing for me with Bonnie is I think she's pretty much almost the same person at the beginning as she is at the end. And I don't really think she wants a, a rescue. And I think it's in everybody. I also wonder, you know, if she was a man, if it was a, a man who was a poker player. And and that how would people judge him? If it was a man that found Mona Lisa and had him help her cheat maybe people would judge him a little less. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I mean, what, what's interesting is that you don't go that reductive way. Like you said, yeah, you're not, it's not there. Oh, let's teach this person a character. But yeah, I mean, clearly you love all the characters in the films. You yes, know, you're embracing them. You're not kind of positioning. There's no hierarchy between them. And then there's definite love amongst them all. So, uh, but yeah, no, she's quite feisty and fun. And yeah, it's she glad that feisty. she doesn't change, you know, like, yeah, she's going to plow through, like you said. And uh, yeah, let's see if she makes an appearance in the sequel. Um, <laughs> so it's nighttime here. And as I was driving to the cinema, I could see like the crescent of the moon. And I remembered a quote in a very recent interview in Vogue where you talk about sleeping and dreaming are the greatest mysteries of human existence. I was quite struck by the line and I thought, what's your relationship to, yeah, like sleep? And, and obviously, you know, the moon plays a big part in the film. It, you know, it's the beginning and the ending of the moon as well. And, uh, you know, in the, in the film, we see the moon at the start and the end. And yeah, I know, what are your, how, are you a dreamer? Yeah, do you stare at the moon when it's a full moon night? And uh, yeah. Well, when I when I first was thinking of Mona Lisa and her supernatural nature, I was I started thinking of the werewolf archetype and, you know, this primal kind of 
beast within that is awakened by the moon and connected to the moon. And I, as a woman, I feel very connected to the moon. I think all women are extremely mm -hmm. connected to the, to the moon. Um, it's absolutely true. It's physically true. And, and so I knew that her power would be triggered by and connected to the, to the full moon, but I didn't want, you know, a hairy dog kind of <laughs> creature. I wanted a, a, a smooth werewolf. <laughs> so, um, so that's kind of how she came about and that, uh, and that feeling that primordial primal connection to the moon, um, drawing out the, the biggest powers inside her sleep is a mysterious thing i we spend half of our lives asleep um some of us even more than half some of us sleeping while we're also awake but <laughs> um <clears throat> we spend so much time sleeping and i i actually i i write a lot of my dreams down i pay very close attention to my dreams and and write them down and then analyze them and look at their meanings that there's so much strangeness and interesting messages and things in our subconscious and things from who knows where I've seen quite mystical, strange, sometimes almost premonitions in my dreams, things that then came true. I, um, yeah, you know, you know that your brain releases DMT when you're sleeping. So it's almost like some kind of psychedelic state, I think. So, um, it, which is actually true. You can Google it. Um, it's better not to eat before going to sleep so that your brain can produce more DMT and then you'll have more intense dreams and... and um, <laughs> But yeah, I'm I'm fascinated by sleeping and dreaming. <clears throat> so fascinated. You, talk, you talked about writing your dreams, and I know you're planning on publishing a book. Uh, yes, I am. Called my slimy brain. <laughs> Is that correct? Or no? Um, sorry, I need to wear my glasses because I can't see my own types. No. It's, yeah. <laughs> It said, it's "Oh, called... send from my slimy brains." Yes, that's right. And uh, yeah, so I'm. We'll. Are we going to read about some of your dreams in that book? Yes, it was. It, yes, yes, it is. Got it is filled with dreams and also filled with other. What happened was during COVID and this sort of two year period where all my, a lot of my projects and things work wise got just stopped. So, I was. I was looking back at my phone, you know, I write so many things inside my my phone. I write notes to myself that include my dreams, conversations I had with people. Sometimes if I have a conversation and I wish I would have said something and then I think of it two days later, then I'll write that down. You know, like almost like finishing the conversation I had with somebody, emails to myself, um, and then, you know, stuff like books to read, movies to watch, uh, grocery shopping lists. And then I read the whole, th I, I started pulling these out because I, I looked at it and I thought, as I was looking at all these dreams and, and there's also shooting anecdotes from shooting my movies. I could see what I was doing from 2017, 16, 17 till now, it, it, 
it was like I could see all all of what had happened. And I was reading myself, my naive self, who didn't know what was happening next. You know what I mean? So reading things I was experiencing and feeling six months before COVID, it's so interesting to look at it. It was like a digital diary. And I'm just looking at myself thinking, oh, she doesn't even know what's about to happen. You know, Mm -hmm. and I think that that's always so true of us. But we never know what's about to happen. As as cocky as we want to be, we just don't know. No, true. And, and we I don't think... have control in a way that we think we do. So, no, but yeah. Absolutely. Which I, yeah, I guess digging through personal archives is, you know, your personal archive is also, yeah, it kind of reminds you of who you were in the past and where you are now. And yeah, no, we're looking forward to this book and, and seeing yeah, kind of the insides cool. of, uh, you know, thinking of, uh, from, you know, from within. And you're also working on a remake of Cliffhanger. So your next movie, is that correct? I, I, have, been, I have been developing that for a while. Okay. COVID sort of changed the shape of my mm. schedule with it, but it is still very much, there's a writer writing a, a script and I'm really excited about it. I wouldn't call it a remake. Okay. I would call it a, I don't know what a I reboot? would call it, but it, it's maybe a reboot would be a better word. It's some new incar- incantation of the of the movie. So, but it's not like you know when a remake just kind okay. of regurgitates right. it. Because I yeah. I did wonder about that because you've made three extremely original films with original characters, yeah. and I thought, oh wait, her journey to the next one, you know. So I'm glad you clarified that, and yeah, we're looking forward yeah. to it. Um, I'm yeah. Even, uh, I'm going to open it up to the audience to see if anyone has okay. any questions. Um, hello, and uh, thank you for spending some time with us uh, from far away. And I really enjoyed uh, the whole movie and the music. Thank you. <laughs> the music of the movie. Um, I wanted to just know the symbolism uh, behind the name Mona Lisa. Mm. Uh, is it because we like we don't yes. know what she's thinking? about this because you just said that she's she's she has this ability of because she's innocent and because she can do whatever she wants with the people that maybe she can analyze and uh, know the deepest truth of the humans and i related it to the fact that when you look at the mona lisa you don't really know what she's thinking and you think and, and you feel like she's observing you more than you're observing her it is exactly that's exactly uh how i feel about the mona lisa i think it's an interesting thing with her <clears throat> i mean here's this painting that for centuries um people are wondering about the mystery of who the character in the painting is who is she is she smiling is she happy is she sad was she the lover of the painter was she who was she and to him and I think it it speaks a lot about our need as people to put a story on everything so if we don't know something or understand something we it's a human need to put an explanation we assign a story to to the things that we see in a way to understand them and but people are such a mystery. So you can do that even with people you know. And who do you really know? You know, people 
don't even really know themselves sometimes. So to think and assume that you know someone else, you know, it's it's kind of bold and probably not um, accurate. So with the Mona Lisa, it was exactly what you said that I started feeling, oh, she's, we're not looking at her, she's looking at us, you know, and and this character in this film is really observing everybody else in a way. And, and yeah, I think it was, it, it sort of for me became like a new, like a modern Mona Lisa. She's, um, because she's so many things, she changes form in the film so many times. She can be an animal, she can be a child, she can be a girl, she can be a monster, which also is freedom to me. The Mona Lisa isn't one thing. She's many things, as we all are. So yeah, not to get too deep, but that's a pretty deep question. <laughs> Any other? Okay, we've got another question coming up. Hello, and thank you for this awesome work of art. Um, my question <laughs> to you, like from one artist to another, just kind of picking your brain, um, what's it been like for you as a director, as a screenwriter to get to this level of clarity within yourself that you could organize your internal world to make this an external product? Like, you know, as a human, are you spending like a lot of time alone? Do you have like a lot of routines? Like, how did you get this inner world manifested? I mean, the work, the work of making a film, any film, any film in any genre, the just the sheer work, the hours, the, the years uh, is, uh, is astounding. It's, it's three years of your life minimum. So uh, it can be five years of your life. So I think it, it becomes finding that thing, the story and the characters that can consume you so completely and that feel real and true to you so completely that you won't ex exhaust yourself halfway through that you won't say oh i don't really want you know that they that they feel so exciting to you that you want to stay with it because once that feeling is there i think that feeling is the most important thing searching for that feeling I, and then it's just it is work i do spend a lot of time alone in the writing phase and in the editing and post-production phases because those are more you know you're more alone and especially writing is very very solitary but then production and when I'm shooting is such a wonderful time you're spending months with the people that you carefully choose who for me it's like I have to work with people that I know they're all in and they want to go on this strange journey and there's a complete trust both ways because then it becomes a wonderful, really like family of warriors who <clears throat> you get to all fight together for one, one beautiful reason. And um, it's a rare thing to experience in life. It's a wonderful thing. Um, but it is certainly months and years of stamina and work Um so I think it's all about that kind of commitment to the idea, not faking it. I've never made a film or a story 
that I, so far, that I didn't really completely commit myself to and believe in. You know what I mean? Like, I wasn't doing it for external reasons. Like, I want to make a film, I don't know, to win awards or to do this or that or please a certain type of audience or I just, I'm doing it for my the audience of myself and then I just have to hope and trust that there's other people that are like me and connected to the same wavelength as me so that that would be my same advice to anybody else doing it is to really find the thing that you're genuinely in love with um don't fake it because <laughs> you have to live with it for so long <laughs> you know can I ask one more question to you? Sure. Okay. Um, it's about, you talked about writing and I was thinking um, about the music, you know, at, so the writing is a whole process and time allocated for it. And your all your films are really known with this great soundtrack is particularly dance music. So yeah. when does that start fitting in the film? You know, like, are you listening to music that's specific to the writing process that you think is going to make its way to the film? Uh, yeah, because it's, it's another strong characteristic in the films we've seen by you so far. Yes, I certainly do start with music. I think sometimes, I mean, there will be the idea, <clears throat> New Orleans, this werewolf type concept, but put into this girl from North Korea. And then I start hearing songs. Um, the music I compile when I'm writing is a huge playlist. And then and then I make, there's like subcategories. Each character has a different sound. Charlie has a different sound. Bonnie has a different sound. Fuzz has a different sound. So I would make then playlists for each character. And But, you know, it's not like regimented. It's just wherever the scene is or the story is or the feeling is, I'll be listening to music. And it's different music for every film this film had a certain personality and a certain energy mm. and so I started finding th these songs and these artists and it's like one of the things with music is I go on these I think it's like a music expedition where I'm searching for for the music and it's if I find something I like or a, a DJ I like a producer or an artist that I like you can go and see who they collaborate with search their search their um their music kind of uh what's the word their body of work of their music and you can find who they collaborate with the labels that they release their music with the producers that they work with and then you'll find five more songs and so if you keep going you can keep finding beautiful like hidden gems um, because I do look for lesser known kind of music that maybe people haven't heard as much of. And there's so many people making incredible music. And so then you find these hidden gems and it becomes like a, a victorious feeling. I love the music. I, I think music is one of the most powerful forces that human beings have come up with. So, um, and cinema is so exciting because of that reason, because it, you can create a sensory experience, not just with the words and the story, but with the sound, the music, the editing, and how all those things come together um, to transport you in such a specific way. So yeah, I'm really, really excited about the soundtrack for this one. It's really fun. And um, 
I play music on set. I write it into the script. If you if you ever come to the set of one of my movies, I'm carrying around a boombox, a small <laughs> blue boombox. Uh, really, if you ask people, they'll tell you. <laughs> um, the sound guys always hate me because the sound is never clean because I play through. I turn it off sometimes when people are talking, of course, but yeah, because it brings people together in a way that very few things can do. Yeah, and and particularly with dance uh, with dance music, and I think of the word freedom that you brought about again. So you know, dance yes. music that's freedom and dancing and joy and dancing, and yeah. So it uh, it adds these nice ingredients that I think the the, the thing about yeah the thing about dance music and, and my feeling about dance music is you know our heartbeats, our heart is a beat. So really, each person is a song, and and dance music is a beat. And I feel like it's connected to the heart, the living pulse of life of each person. So if you think of yourself as a song, you know, in that way, I feel that the dance music kind of, it echoes the the song of each human life in a, in a weird way. Um, yeah, yeah, it's very, it's spiritual in a way. Um, so I think I'm going to say one last question if there is one, but okay. I want to thank you for your time. I know it's your morning and you've probably got like lots more interviews and, you know, uh, presenting the film, but good luck with it. I think it's been thank receiving you. a lot of positive response. So that's been really great to see as well. Yeah. And, uh, we look forward to your next book, your next film, your next soundtrack, whatever you do. And yeah, we, we wait uh, eagerly to see what you make next. Thank, thank you very you, thank much. You so Thank you for watching my film and for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you. Have a good day. Thank you for listening. For more discussions like this, please follow or subscribe to Tea with Culture on any podcast app you're using. It would be great if you could also leave a rating or a comment or share with people you know. You can also find Tea with Culture on Twitter and Instagram. I leave you with Blood Moon by Federal from the soundtrack of Mona Lisa and the Blood Moon. Till next time. Well, there's a blood